0: I shared a story uh, a while ago. Some of you may have heard this, uh, but it happened in uh, Israel. A Jewish couple, young Jewish couple, who were married, uh, living in Israel, had a a fire in their apartment. And because it was the Sabbath, they had to get permission from their rabbi, even though it was an emergency, they had to get permission from their rabbi to, uh, to, to call for emergency services because using a telephone would be considered work uh, and therefore uh, they had to get permission so the rabbi said let me, let me think about it and 30 minutes later the rabbi gave his blessing to use the telephone only problem is that their apartment and two other apartments were completely destroyed by the fire now you you, you may say well you know that, that's a commendable thing for the rabbi to to deliberate to want to make the right decision about uh, something as important as the Sabbath but but a fire is an emergency any day of the week. You know, one of the things that Jesus taught was that was that property and life are more important than following or obeying rules. That the Sabbath was literally made uh, for man, not man made for the Sabbath. And Jesus did things like heal people on the Sabbath. And so, and so, uh, that is an amazing story, but I I thought I heard it all when I heard that story. But not too long ago, a few months ago, in fact, right here in Brooklyn, uh, this took place. Once again, an Orthodox Jewish family. I'm not picking on Orthodox Jewish people. Believe me, I pray for them all the time. But what happened was a father came home to his worst nightmare. You see, they had a fire as well. And it not only destroyed his home, uh, but seven out of eight of his children perished in the fire. I mean, that is so tragic beyond my comprehension. His wife and sole surviving child were critically burned in the fire. Now, they discovered that the cause of the fire was a hot plate that was left plugged in uh, while the family slept, and they were trapped in their bedrooms. Um, You might say, you know, why in the world was an appliance or a hot plate left on while the family slept? And that's a good question. And, And the reason for it being that it was left on on purpose because of the approaching Sabbath. See, for Orthodox Jewish people, one of the ways that they would keep their food warm for the Sabbath because they would be prohibited from using appliances, turning on a stove, would be to leave their food on a hot plate so they could enjoy hot food. It's kind of like like a loophole, if you will, or a way of circumventing the rules of, of the Sabbath uh, in order to enjoy the hot food, now, that's a tragedy on so many levels. And when I first heard that, you know, again, it's hard to wrap your mind around the loss of, of seven out of eight children and, and see your wife and child critically uh, burned. But, but I, I thought about what the Apostle Paul said when he tried to frame the difference between religion and and the spirit. But the, religion minus the spirit. Of God. And Paul said it like this He said, The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Last week, Doug did such an excellent job on presenting us with the first part of grace and truth. And uh, he said that Jesus came and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. Not grace at the expense of truth, nor was it truth minus grace or absent of grace. It was both grace. And truth. I want to look at that verse one more time tonight before we continue on in this message. So, John chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, and of his speaking of Jesus fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And I love one translation. In one translation is kind of paraphrased, but it says it like this: that we have all received from Jesus heaps and heaps and heaps of grace. Grace upon grace. In other words, it wasn't just just, we, we, we've been lavished with, with favor. We've been lavished with the gifts that come from God. For the law, verse 17 says, was given through Moses. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, but Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and it's a better covenant based upon better promises. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, for an orthodox family, the stringent demands of more than 600 commands and hundreds and hundreds of man-made traditions either overwhelms the heart with impossible burdens or it creates a desire to find the loophole so that they have the appearance of, of compliance. As Doug pointed out in a previous message, that the law was given to convict and to prove that men needed a savior. That apart from Jesus Christ, it is absolutely impossible to be pleasing unto God. And so enter Jesus, and he comes in, and he invites Jew and Gentile, he invites men and women to come unto him and find rest from the impossible burdens that you cannot lift. Nowhere uh, is this grace and truth better displayed than in John chapter 8, and that's what we're going to kind of dive into in just a few minutes, but Jesus Christ came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to completely satisfy the law of God, and in that process, provide for us with eternal life. Perhaps one of the most important single words tonight, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, if there's just one word that I I can share with you that I hope you carry out of this This meeting tonight, it's the word substitute. Jesus Christ is the sinner's substitute. And he's this sinner's substitute as well. I think it was Doug who quoted from Tim Keller not too long ago who said that the gospel reveals that we are way more sinful than we ever imagined. We are way more flawed and sinful than than we've ever thought possible. But that we are equally, or I should say that we are, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we can ever dare to imagine. And that is the truth. That is, that is both grace and truth in that one statement. So let's take a look at John chapter 8, and beginning in verse 2. It says, Now early in the morning, He, Jesus, came again to the temple, and all the people came to Him. So they gathered around Him, and He sat down, and He taught them. I mean, how cool would that be to be in a Bible study where Jesus is the teacher? But Jesus is about to be rudely interrupted by a group of men who have one aim in mind. Their agenda is to to, uh, bring uh, a disparaging report against Jesus, to to bring an accusation against him and discredit him as a heretic. Uh, This is the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 3. Uh, I believe that Doug mentioned them last week. They were the elite of the religious organization uh, at that time. And they brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, I I can't imagine that they were very gentle with this woman who uh, was now caught in adultery. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Imagine, imagine being interrupted tonight in, in some way like this. The, these men neither cared about the holiness of God or that his word was being violated, nor did they care in any compassionate way about this woman whom they have now horrifically embarrassed. But they cleverly now said to Jesus in verse 5, Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned this is the law of Moses now, Jesus. But what do you say? In other words, do you agree or disagree? Are you in favor or, or disfavor? Now, one of the reasons, let me just kind of step aside for a minute and, and say, that really appears to be harsh. You know, the, the penalty that she should be stoned for the act of adultery. Let me just say this, that among all the different things sins that can happen in a society, in a community. And remember, God was interested in bringing forth eventually in time over hundreds of years, bringing forth his son into the world through the tribe of Judah and through the line of David, right? There was probably no sin more destructive to a community than the sin of adultery because it destroys families. It destroys relationships. It destroys children's lives. And it has, I mean, it's hard to even estimate the kind of damage that adultery over a long period of time can cause to a society and to a culture. And so I think that the Lord was saying here to restrain the people and to give them no loopholes, there was this severe law put in place. Verse 6 says this, This, they said, testing him or or tempting him is another way of saying that, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Now, I don't know about you, but 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 for me, one of the first things that I think about in this scenario as I'm, as I'm reading this, you know, imagine, imagine hearing this for the first time. The first thing that I think a reasonable person would, would ask is, Where's the man? I, the, the, there's the woman that was brought who was caught in the act of a, Well, where's, where's the man? Was there a different standard for men? Did they let him go? Or was this all a part of the ruse that was, was this, was this some, simply a setup that was taking place? And, and, and I think based upon the verse that we just read, that they sought to, to, to test him or to tempt him, I think that there's a plot underway here. Uh, a foot, if you will. Uh, they supposed that they had an airtight trap and that there was no way that Jesus was going to escape no matter which way he went. See, when, when, when you have uh, religious uh, pride uh, and arrogance, uh, you think more highly of yourself than you should. But they also did not esteem Jesus, whom they were attempting to discredit. So they despised Jesus, and yet they thought highly of themselves. And, 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 and that is the very nature of those that would reject the grace of God. Because the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he, he rejects the proud. Now, I want you to see this, that, that no matter what Jesus, in their minds, gave as an answer, it was a gotcha answer. Because, and let me go through... The, the reasons for it, it was because, number one, Jesus went on record. Because he would do things like healing people on the Sabbath, they would accuse him of being a Sabbath breaker. And he would defend himself by saying, is it, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? Of course not. And again, he would teach that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve man. And so, and so, and so Jesus went on record to tell the people, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come, rather, to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so they figured, well, if if he had compassion for this woman and said, no, man, let her go, then they could accuse him of compromising with sin. They could accuse him of, of condoning her behavior because if you don't condemn her behavior, then they could say, well, he's condoning sinful behavior. And so they figured, well, they've definitely got him. But on the other side, On the flip side of all this, Jesus had the reputation of being the friend of sinners. He eats with publicans and with with prostitutes and and with sinners. And so that reputation about Jesus was because Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. You see, the world is already under this, this just condemnation because of original sin. And as a result of that, Jesus did not come to condemn men, he came to save to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and to save the lost. And again, they figure, well, we, we, we've got him now because if he goes the other way, then, then we could accuse him of breaking his own word and being false. And uh, if, he, if, he, if he says something like, you know, go ahead and, and stone him because that's what the law of Moses says, then they can accuse him to the Roman officials because under the subjugation of, of Israel to the Roman Empire, They didn't have the right of capital punishment that was taken away from them. And that's one of the reasons why the Jewish leaders ultimately brought Jesus before Pilate and had to ask Pilate to crucify Jesus. Now, it's obvious that that Jesus had the greatest problem, the greatest conflict, the greatest struggle with religious people, with with those who were self-righteous. And one of the reasons for it being is because they didn't see themselves as being sinful. They saw themselves as being right with God, of, of, of God owing them because of their, their service. If you might remember, Jesus told a story. He said there were two men in the temple praying. One man was a Pharisee. And he prayed this way. He said he prayed unto himself. Really, that, that's the key there. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I'm not like this tax collector or sinner. But the tax collector didn't even have the courage to look up to heaven, Jesus said. But he smote his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was was the latter man who went home justified before God. And the reason for it being is that whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever forsakes and confesses the same will obtain mercy. That's one of God's principles. And so it must have come as an absolute shock to the Pharisees and the scribes when Jesus kind of pulled the cover over their hypocrisy and he called them out for the various sins that they were committing, Like, like standing in the marketplace and wanting to be heard to receive the praise of men while they devoured widows' houses. Jesus said they travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he's converted, he is twice as much a child of the devil. Whoa, whoa, wait. That's kind of harsh, Jesus, right? In fact, he said that they were like whited tombs, outwardly clean and pure, but inside full of dead man's bones. You know, if Jesus were here today and he spoke like that, he'd be termed and labeled as a hater. He'd be accused of, 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 of... committing hate speech but the fact of the matter is is that jesus is the greatest lover that has ever been and that it is a loving thing to do to tell people the truth about their spiritual condition about how shaky the ground is upon which they're standing it is the loving thing to do so these men they they were sure the trap was set and uh That all all Jesus had to do is answer either way and and it was a gotcha answer, you know? So Jesus gives them no verbal reply at first, but he begins to write with his finger upon the ground. I, I, I point out that every word in Scripture is there for a purpose. He didn't write with a stick. He didn't write with a sharp rock. He wrote with his finger. Why is that so significant? Well, let me just read a few more verses and I'll tell you why. So when they continued asking him, they continued asking him. They, they were rudely impatient while Jesus is writing upon the ground with his finger. They're pressing him. Come on, Rabbi, tell us, what do you think? What, what about Moses? What, what about what did he say? What do you think we should do? He raised himself up, and he said to them, he was without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down, now a second time, and he wrote on the ground. I think it's pretty safe to say that Jesus, who knew the hearts of men, knew that there was no way they were going to take his challenge and they were going to begin throwing rocks. Jesus wrote on the ground a second time. Why did he write on the ground a second time? I, 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 think, I think personally, uh, the answer is obvious. Uh, some commentators say that Jesus was just kind of doodling on the ground, others say that Jesus was, was kind of buying time looking for a way out of this dilemma that he found himself in. I don't believe that for a minute. I, I, I think that there, is, that there is a reminder here of a, of a picture of what, the way God gave Moses the tablets of stone. Did you know the Bible says that, he, that God gave Moses the tablets of stone written with the finger of God? And they weren't just given to Moses once because Moses in anger broke the tablets of stone when he saw the children of Israel sinning. And so God had to rewrite it again a second time. And so to me, it's clear. Here's the true lawgiver who 2,000 years before etched on stone the law. What was Jesus writing on the ground? I don't know. That would be speculation. It could have been something like liar, thief, murderer, false witness. But whatever it was, it was the words of Jesus that brought conviction. Because verse 9 says, Then those who heard it, heard his word, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. You see, they made for the door like rats. They just scurried out of, the, out of the scene and their plot was spoiled because they didn't see themselves as sinners. They didn't see themselves in need of a savior. And as a result of that, they didn't see it coming. This was totally unexpected for Jesus to give them that kind of a response. It says in verse, middle of verse 9, it says, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. They were not only her accusers, they were his accusers as well. She totally guilty. Jesus totally pure and innocent. It's so amazing. But now here's this woman who really, and when you think about it in terms of eternity, because eternal matters matter most, is in a greater degree of danger than a mob with a bunch of stones. To face God eternally with with sin. The wages of sin, the Bible clearly says, is death. But before Jesus could rescue this woman from her lifestyle, Jesus was going to apply the rule of law to her situation. See, Moses required that there would be two eyewitnesses to, to, to the sin of adultery, two eyewitnesses to confirm before there can be a conviction for anyone who, was, who has committed such a sin as that. It was kind of a safeguard that God put there in the word of God. So you can imagine that the execution of of those who committed adultery was kind of rare. And, And really, because of that, the two eyewitnesses not only had to confirm what they saw, but they had to be participants in the execution themselves. They had to be the ones to throw the stone. So what Jesus is doing right here now, when he says, is there, is there no one now to condemn you? Jesus is applying the rule of law to her situation so that legally the execution could not be carried out. Jesus, in his wisdom, found a way so that grace and truth would be both honored, that, that he would not withhold mercy from the woman, but neither would he withhold the truth in this situation. And so it says in verse 11b, it says, Neither will I condemn you. Go, said Jesus, and leave a sinful life. Or, or simply go and, and don't sin anymore. Now, I got to tell you, our words are, are, are thoughts. And sometimes they're hollow and sometimes they're empty, but his word could never be hollow or empty. His words are spirit and life. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence who spoke in dead people who were raised to life, who spoke in blind eyes were open. And when he would release that word to the woman, go and sin no more, <clears throat> that one act of divine kindness that she would experience, I-, I believe with all my heart, that divine kindness has the potential of infinite possibilities. And she was the recipient of this grace, as well as this truth of going and sinning no more. And I, I believe that that, radically changed I, I I know because it radically changed me over 40 plus years ago. One act of divine kindness shown to me changed this sinner's life. Now, an illustration that I'd like to kind of share with you that I've used before in the past, and if you've heard it before, you know, please forgive me, but, but it's a really great illustration. Uh, it's, about, it's about how grace can transform and change our behavior. Now, now, I've, I've been driving for uh, a long time. Uh, me and Henry Ford, we were best buds, you know. Uh, I've been driving for over 50 years, and when I started driving, they didn't have seatbelts in cars. They had wheels, you know, but they didn't have seatbelts, right? Um, so I got used to driving without seatbelts, and then when they introduced seatbelts and seatbelts became standard, it wasn't cool to put that around your waist, I guess, I don't know, you know. But, but I didn't do it, you know, and because that's what I was used to. And then when it became the law that you had to buckle up, and, I mean, we've all seen those signs on the highways that say, buckle up, it's the law, you know. Um, I still didn't do it. And my kids would, 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 would try to, you know, persuade me, Dad, you got to put on your seatbelt. And, and I wasn't trying to be, you know, a lawbreaker. But did I break the law? Yes. Did I put myself in danger? No, because I'm an excellent driver. Not like, not like Doug. Ask Kelly. She's got fingernails in, in the in the dashboard of her car when Doug drives. You know, you know? No, I, I, I'm just kidding. But but then it happened to me, right? I mean, I'm I'm driving I'm driving down the road and, and there's this. Po- I drive right in smack dab into a police checkpoint, and there are police cars on both sides of the road. And they're stopping cars, and guess what they're checking for? If you're wearing seatbelts. And this is about 17, 18 years ago, right, that, that this took place. And, uh, you know, there I am, no seatbelt on. And, and on the opposite side of the street is a, is a cop, and he's writing a ticket out to, to a guy. The long arm of the law has snagged this guy. And now the long arm of the law is about ready to snag me because I'm guilty as, as anything, right? And, and the police officer that was in front of my car now was a policewoman. And, and she had her hand out like this. But then she just kind of turned with a smile and she waved me past the checkpoint, you know. And, and she motioned to me because she saw I wasn't wearing a seatbelt because it had the strap that, that's supposed to go across you. She motioned me to put the seatbelt on. And I snapped that baby in real quick. You know, and I, I just took off, looked in my rearview mirror, and said, What in the world just happened? Maybe, maybe she just had, had, had compassion for me because of my angelic face. Maybe because I was so cute, you know? Oh, and it was 18 years ago. I was 17. I, my hair was much darker then. You know, no, I, I, I don't know why she did what she did, but that one act of kindness. Was like it's like it's like God was hitting me with grace. This is this is what grace is like, and I have I have never not worn a seatbelt since that day. Every time I get in my car, I put that seatbelt on because it's a reminder to me of the grace of God. See now, here, here here's the difference. She let me go at no cost to herself. Jesus freed me at the cost of everything. She, she just kind of waved me on and, and, and winked me forward because she thought I was cute. Jesus didn't find anything cute in me at all. In fact, I was an enemy when Jesus died for me. And as a result of that, that, that changed my life. That's why I say this woman must have had a radical change when she met the personification of grace and truth in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the truth about this, this woman's sin of adultery. It's, it was, it's not a good thing. I mean, she, she's responsible for duplicity against the covenant that she made with her, with her spouse till death do us part. She, she betrayed a trust. She, she committed treason. But she also committed treason and betrayal to God. Now, John doesn't tell us what this woman looks like. He doesn't tell us her name. doesn't tell us her age, the color of her hair. But I know what she looks like. She looks like me. And she looks like you. Because she is us. Because we have all committed spiritual adultery. Listen, if, you, if you've if you ever loved anyone or anything more than God, you've committed spiritual adultery. If you've found pleasure in forbidden things more than in the knowledge of God you've committed spiritual adultery if you've lied once even a little white lie then you are guilty of breaking all of the lord because to break one is to break them all and that means that all of us are standing on the same shaky ground and not only was she in for a world of of hurt and trouble but so are we but we're the very people that Jesus came to save people who could admit that they have sinned against God and, and that they need mercy. The Pharisees and the scribes, they, they could never, Jesus said, you will not come unto me that you might be healed because they would not admit that they were sinners. Now this, this, this became a problem for Jesus in that, in that moment, that dilemma, that what was, how was he going to answer that? And he, and he answered that with the wisdom of God. He found a way. But there was a greater problem, a greater dilemma for God. Because how could God be both just and merciful? Because those are two mutually exclusive things. They're, justice and mercy are, are so far apart. They're like the east is from the west. Believe me, you don't want justice. Sinners need mercy. But God is just. And there's the problem for God. Justice has to be served. God, God will never wink at sin. He'll never ignore it as though it doesn't exist because it is an affront to him in a personal way. But God, who is rich in love, found a way through his wisdom, the wisdom of God and the power of God. And the cross is both the wisdom of God and the power of God where both mercy and grace and mercy and justice met together and kissed at the cross. The cross is the wisdom of God. It is where Jesus became a curse for us or Jesus bore the penalty of what we deserve in, in himself. And here, 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 here's our takeaway tonight. The only one qualified, the only one innocent, the only one qualified to throw stones didn't. And the only one able to condemn us was himself condemned for us. That blows my mind. That this act of kindness, that we could meet this act of kindness toward each one of us personally, and it not only... Be grace to us, but it be truth to us that sets us free. See, I totally believe that dying in our place is the most loving thing that God could do for us. And I've known people that that kind of challenge God to, to basically say, God, prove to me that you love me. Well, he did prove that he loved you. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And dying for us is the loving thing to do. But let me tell you, the second loving thing to do is to tell us the truth. That unless we likewise repent, we will likewise perish. That we're all in danger of an eternal death apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only way that we could be pleasing unto God. Now, one of the things that that we want to just kind of mention is that we're facing a moral crisis in our culture today. People are calling things that are good evil and things that are evil, they're calling it good. It's, it's upside down. And as a result of that, there's a lot of confusion in our culture today. The Bible, the, the Bible warns us, just as Jesus did, to leave a life of sin, to leave that, st- that sinful lifestyle. And so, for many people, they interpret that as being hate speech. In fact, I've been saying this for months now that the gospel will eventually be accused of, and the Bible will eventually be accused of being hate speech. Well, I heard just this last week that there's a group who have taken out a $70 million lawsuit against a Bible publisher for certain verses that are in the Bible that they consider to be hate speech because it's offensive to them. It's not hate speech. It's the truth. And the truth, Jesus said, can set men free. The only hope that this nation has, our culture has, is for both grace and truth to be applied to our lives. I want you to listen. I just want to share one more verse of Scripture with you before we close tonight. The way Paul brought this truth out of grace and truth together is, is a profound thing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. And this is what Paul said. He says, do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What is that? That is a warning. The righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being to be eternally blessed with God. Do not be deceived. Warning. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolatrous, nor adulterous, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is by no means an exhaustive list. And and committing any of these sins does not keep you out of heaven. The only sin that can keep you out of heaven is the failure to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Notice, This might be considered as being judgmental. Paul, you're being so judgmental by saying that those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. No, it's the truth. It is the loving thing to do. But I want you to notice what Paul places right alongside of that. In verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. In other words, you were made pure. You were sanctified. The word sanctified means to be made holy or to be set apart. You were justified just as if you had never sinned in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. A transformation took place. Because they received the grace of God, they were beginning to be transformed. Ultimately, that's God's purpose for us, that we would be conformed to the image of God's Son. This is grace and truth together. Any genuine encounter with Jesus Christ will transform a life of sin where Jesus said it, whoever walks, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will, will have the light of life. I want, you to, I want you to think about it. Were the Corinthians perfect? By no means. In fact, pre- I would not want to pastor the church at Corinth. They were kind of messed up. Are we perfect? By no means. We will never outgrow our need of a Savior. We will never outgrow our need for the grace that comes through Jesus Christ and by believing upon Him. But just like the scribes and Pharisees, this present culture doesn't understand the severity of sin, nor does it see themselves as being sinful. And therefore, they can't see their need for a Savior. Our goal is to love people and to preach the gospel, to never compromise with the truth, to never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God that, to save men, both Jew and Gentile. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He says, our duty is to believe and preach what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. That's a tremendous statement. Our duty, our responsibility as both Christians and as preachers and as witnesses of the, of the gospel is to just say what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. If you're not a follower of Jesus Tonight, I'm really glad that you're here. And, and not only do I want you to take away that word substitute, that Jesus Christ is the sinner's substitute, he can become your substitute tonight. See, Jesus forgives all manner of sin. And the real issue is, is, that, is that not the individual things that you have done, but the fact of the matter is that we were born into a broken world where sin is normal, like fishing in the water, the the world in which we live, sin is normal for us, but it's deadly and it will ultimately bring eternal death unless we discover that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. Again, whoever follows me said Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For some of you, this message is about giving you the opportunity to follow Jesus and to experience eternal life for yourself, and for, for those of you who are followers of Jesus. It's a, an incredible reminder of just how blessed we are that we've opened our heart to receive grace that forgives us and truth that transforms us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to share your word with your people. And Lord God, I just pray even now for, for each of us That this word, oh God, Lord, would penetrate our hearts. That we would be as men and women who are not ashamed of the gospel, who understand that it is the power of God into salvation. And I, I just, I just pray a blessing now, Lord God. If there's anyone here that would like to become a follower of Jesus, let me kind of lead you in, in a simple prayer. And as Jesus come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. In your own words, you could just say that right now. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you are the sinner's substitute. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I received the gift of eternal life that's in Christ. I hope that you did that right now. If you just look at me for one more time tonight, my, my, my wife was showed me the story. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just feel urged to, 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 to share this. There was a, a, a Jewish man. He's now, I think, about 94 years old. And when he was a child in Nazi Germany, actually he was in Austria, uh, there were Christians who, who rescued him from certain death because of, the execution of Jewish people in in Austria and Germany and Europe at that time and they they smuggled him to to England and he grew up there and he became a businessman and he became very wealthy and what he's been doing over the last several years is he's been he's been rescuing Christians from Syria and from Isis because he feels that he, he's indebted to to those Christians who some 60-some-odd years ago had had saved his life, and that if it wasn't for them, he probably would have perished. Now, I, I, just, I just, when I heard that story, I thought, that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has rescued us so that we would rescue others. And I want you to take this message tonight and remember that you've been freely given so that you might freely give again.